Our guest on this week of the Tech Emergence podcast is Tad Slap, the co-founder and CEO of Innovance, an artificial intelligence uh, and finance company in New York, New York. Uh, in this episode, we speak with Tad about the state of machine learning in finance today. Where is it being used and leveraged uh, across the domain of, of uh, finance and trading? In addition to how the future applications of machine learning and the trends in the, the ubiquitous use of these technologies might alter what gives an edge to a hedge fund, one hedge fund over another, or one institutional investor over another, and what the future of, of individual trading and institutional investing might look like uh, with the advent and the continued proliferation of machine learning. So without further ado, we'll move directly into the episode. So Tad, uh, I'd like to start off with, as we often do when we talk about technologies, um, how we've come to where we are today. In other words, you're, you have your hands dirty in the world of machine learning. You know, uh, as I had mentioned off mic, most popular course out here at Stanford for quite some time now. Pretty hip buzz term, but obviously you're using it in a pragmatic way. Where has machine learning started to make its way into the finance world um, in the last decade or five years or so since you've been kind of messing around with these technologies? Yeah, it's, it's really become a lot more accessible. You know, if you look more 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, really the only people that were using machine learning were the more sophisticated quant funds where they had their teams of PhDs, yep. developers building these models. And at that point, it was, all right, can we get our hands as much data as possible? And, you know, they were using big data before it was really a buzzword. Yep. They were building their own sophisticated models, whether or not they actually called it machine learning, that was effectively what they're doing. But what we're seeing today is that this data is becoming much more accessible. You know, whether you're interested in Twitter sentiment or looking at weather data to look at corn futures or any number of other fundamental or technical indicators, all of a sudden there's a much wider number of market participants who can get their hands on this data. So the natural next question is how can we turn this data into something we can actually use? And I think that's especially in the, you know, when we look the world of finance through the lens of financial trading, where that's grown by leaps and bounds and looking at open source libraries and technologies, you know, where it's a R or Python and yep. these algorithms are, are available and a lot of brokers are opening up their APIs so you can bring in the data yourself, analyze it in R and then trade in a, in a fully automated fashion without needing to spend years or hundreds of thousands of dollars in development. So I think it was driven by the accessibility of data and now we're seeing a larger focus on the actual algorithm side. Hmm. And that's that's curious. You know, I, I think it is, uh, you you bring up a point that maybe some folks who are familiar with AI uh, may already be familiar with where, you know, people talk about, man, isn't it wild all these companies hiring PhDs? Like, you know, Goldman Sachs was doing that before, before it was remotely sexy to do that, um, you know, leveraging artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. But now, of course, you know, as you're mentioning, uh, the more layperson traders being able to kind of get their hands on this. Uh, are, are people already, you know, within the current trading platforms for the smaller players, you know, the, the non-quant driven hedge fund folks, um, are, are there already applications on some of those platforms that are leveraging R and Python, et cetera, um, that people are using, or, or are these all in some degree like your own company, um, applications that are coming into development that are rather new or burgeoning. Are there established players there? Is this something that's normal or is it still yet to be normal? Well, I think one of the, the big knocks on machine learning and artificial intelligence in general, and this goes back 40 and 50 years, is that it has a lot of trouble living up to expectations. You 
know, you have this AI, you know, machine learning, and you think it's just going to be this magical black box that spits out the desired output, whether that be a trade recommendation or, you know, the perfect chess playing machine. But to get to that point requires a lot of hard work. So I think we're seeing the beginning of that and some of the simpler problems are starting to be tackled, um, whether it's, you know, interpolating data or figuring out other, you know, better ways to optimize existing models, those type of algorithms and machine learning applications are being put in use. But in terms of more of that, okay, how can I actually build an AI to trade for me? Um, we're nowhere close to, to being accessible to, to the individual. Um, but a lot of people are experimenting with, you know, whether it is artificial neural networks or support vector machines, or even applying techniques like feature creation that were pretty firmly and, and well-researched in the machine learning world and applying that to the financial world, where I think that's seeing the largest success and the most widespread adoption. Interesting. Okay, so this is maybe an important distinction to, to draw the line on. There are speculative applications um, of artificial intelligence in the domain of finance, as is everywhere everywhere else. Um, and then there, there are uh, areas where the path has been beaten enough for there to be tangible yield for particular problems. You know, the, the golden dream, of course, as you had mentioned, is the artificial intelligence that can trade for you. Of course, if everybody has that, I'm not exactly sure what, what the world looks like. I'm sure it's quite different. Um, but, but uh, you know, that's the golden ideal, just like, you know, it'd be, be great if I had one to, to manage my e-commerce business and, you know, motivate my contractors and, and all that. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but there are, you know, the, those nuanced or more focused problems, you know, chess you brought up, which, you know, took folks longer than many, many people might've suspected, uh, maybe McCarthy and, and even the older school guys included, uh, to actually get to a point where we could win, but now we've done it. Uh, it's, it's niche enough. We've been able to hone it out. Um, without going into the speculative domain yet, you had brought up a couple applications of machine learning being used in finance today that it seems as though, you know, maybe as limited as they are, it's not, it's not doing everything in the domain of trading, but, but it, uh, machine learning does have a tangible yield in X areas. What are a couple of those that, that you could potentially articulate in, in language that, that uh, us non-financial folks might understand? Uh, what are some of those areas that are pretty commonly uh, found areas for, for applying machine learning as a legitimate pragmatic tool? Uh, what are some areas where it's actually winning? Yeah, so I think there are two ways to look at that. So one way would be more of the classical, you know, machine learning and whether it's classification or clustering and things like credit risk, you know, should I give a loan to X individual based on certain attributes and machine learning is do, doing pretty well in that regard and, and knowing, um, you know, what, what type of parameters and interest rates to put on, on those types of loans. And then you have other ways, whether, you know, the actuari actuarial sciences are good, are a good example, you know, insurance, things like that, which are a little bit out of the financial world. And then what we're also seeing is techniques and areas that have been really well studied in the machine learning world, things like optimizations or um, parameter tuning or, you know, search functions that now people are using in the financial world. Um, really to get to get good results and improve on, you know, the more basic models that they've been looking at. Hmm. And in terms of, um, of of applications for sort of laypersons, of course, in some to, to a great degree, that's what you're honing in on now, individual investors who are maybe, maybe to some degree advanced, but certainly not advanced in it from a computer science perspective, you're aiming to allow these folks to 
uh, leverage these kinds of tools. How, how do you make them uh, accessible? How, how do you bring machine learning to life um, for, for traders who likely aren't aware what, of what R or what Python are, even in theory, never mind in practice? How, how, do, how do we permit these same folks to leverage the tools in a strategic way to glean insight without having to learn uh, the science? The way that we view the world is that the human intuition and, and the way that traders are looking at the market based on their own experience is incredibly valuable. And until we get to that mythical strong AI threshold, yep. you're not going to be able to take that away. So what we're trying to do is leverage what individual humans are good at, which is that you know creativity, that way to look at data or experiences or scenarios in new and interesting ways. And combine that with what a lot of these machine learning algorithms are good at and at their core, which is being able to find patterns and information in large data sets. So what we want to do is provide a good interface for the traders to basically frame their questions or frame their theories in the sense of this is the data I think is interesting and I think it's related to this asset. Let the algorithms you know, do what they do best, which is analyze a huge amount of data. And then translate that output into a format that the trader can actually understand. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about data visualization, being able to translate these complex patterns that the algorithms found into something that a trader could actually use and understand. Yeah, because of course, if you're if you're literally programming in R, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of facets of of, of that process that, that aren't exactly visual or, or intuitive. You don't exactly know what, what's going on as, as you're building out a table or something along those lines. Of course, your, your job will to be make it so that when folks are looking at it and sort of making choices, um, it's, it's something that they can grasp just sort of intuitively as uh, people and leverage the skills that, that people use. As I'm interested, Tad, and maybe this isn't the, a domain where you've honed in as much, but it sounds as though you certainly must have studied the, the field to a certain degree. Um, as individual investors are being able to uh, potentially leverage these tools more and more, I can imagine that the hedge fund and the quant game has also taken a leap too. You know, anecdotally, I mean, we've had folks in sort of the hedge fund world, Ben Gertzel among them, uh, who've been on the program in the past. Um, and, and I know that um, uh, I've heard anecdotally that in the old days, um, you had quants and PhDs who would, who would manually, come, manually come up with models and now, from what I gather, there are machines coming up with, you know, hundreds of models in a day. N never mind, you know, two models a month. Uh, that that so a very very educated person taking tons of time would do, and then have to test two in a given month, as opposed to test you know two hundred in, in a given in a given day. Uh, that that was sort of an anecdotal uh, point of mention from someone in the hedge fund world. Uh, what have you seen as sort of the shifts there on on the maybe the even more advanced and resource uh, uh, rich uh, domain of trading. Um, how has that stepped up as well as, as these technologies have become more ubiquitous and more powerful? So I think obviously a lot of that is happening behind closed doors, but yep. what I think the, the their competitive advantages really come from is two different areas. So one is their ability to get access to proprietary data sources, whether it is something that they're buying or something that they're gathering on their own. That's really the, the first thing that sets them apart. Curious. Okay. And the second area, which which is less intuitive, but you, you did touch on, is that it's the process. It's not necessarily, oh, we have the best singular algorithm. It's how can we build, test, evaluate, you know, 
measure and then actually implement these algorithms in an efficient and effective manner. And that's where I think a lot of the time resources is spent isn't necessarily how can we fine tune this one algorithm, but how can we go from that initial, all right, we want to look at this data to an actual trade or investment strategy that's going to give them consistent returns. And so it isn't really, okay, we're using the best, you know, the deepest neural network or the best support vector machine or anything like that, but it's, all right, this is how we're judging this model over this model. This is how we're evaluating it. This is the criteria we're looking at it. And then finally, this is how we're translating it into a trade. And so what's, it's becoming much more complex where it's, you know, this multifaceted machine that not necessarily a single algorithm. And I think that's what we're going to see start to propagate into other industries that don't quite have the history of machine learning that, you know, these quant funds do, or they've been working on this problem for 10, 20 years using all the latest technology. But when you look at other verticals that are now just kind of get into the game, you mentioned yeah. e-commerce where now the you know latest and greatest machine learning might be focused on, all right, this is the, you know, the best way to lay out this page and this is the algorithm we use to find it. And what it's going to turn into is, okay, here's the performance criteria. Now, how can we build that robust testing process that's going to end up with the best model? And then how can we repeat that process over time? So if we look at, you know, changing over time as customer behavior patterns on your visitors, or maybe you're targeting a different audience, how can we be sure that the algorithms that we end up with are really optimal or at least close to optimal? Yeah, interesting. It, it seems like, uh, <laughs> you know, that they, they talk about in the, the online marketing world for video and for um, uh, conversion rates and, and, and a whole bunch of other factors. They, they talk about how there's some particular dark corners of the Internet that drive a lot of the, the, the innovation in that space and are usually a couple steps ahead of, of the rest of the web. It seems as though if you're in the machine learning world and, and you're looking to hire talent, um, where, where it's been uh, sort of bolstered, before it was cool, um, is, is really in the, in the finance space. It's funny to think that, you know, the e-commerce folks really have probably a good amount of, you know, certainly better technologies in their hands than, than, you know, the finance folks did 10 or 15 years ago to some degree, but, uh, experientially just not as much track record really applying that kind of stuff. And now that'll just be sort of moving in there. Um, but, uh, good, good luck hiring those guys away from that's the, what I'm saying, right? I was, I was just about to say, I was just about to say, in order to do that, you're going to need competitive salaries. The hedge fund guys, geez, that's a, that's a tough bet. Well, I guess you, the financial world money grows in the dark, right? So, I mean, they, they probably don't want you to know who their best folks are and, and they're probably paying more than most e-commerce sites are going to be able to pay anyway. But I guess, uh, there's some folks like Amazon that'll crack that nut, but for everybody else, um, you're probably going to have to start you know, with Watts and teach yourself. Yeah, I think we are seeing an important shift where a lot of these, you know, the smartest you know, PhDs and engineers before where they would just get attracted by, you know, the, the huge paycheck that these quant funds can, can give them as well as some, you know, a, a small share in the upside profit that they're able to generate. And I think for the first time now, you know, Amazon and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, just because of the, the data they have internally, as well as the problems they're working on and the resources they're willing to spend are finally able, or at least starting to, to attract the top talent away from, from the quants. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if that shift continues. And it definitely seems like a growing trend. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think where, you know, it's, it's curious, I suppose, if you're a, a hardcore computer science uh, feller and, and you and your your number one goal was uh, retire with as much in the bank as you could. You know, it was pretty easy choice um, maybe twenty years ago. Uh, but but today, 
um, you know, where do you see the the alluring and sizzling artificial intelligence applications? You see it with the big companies that you're using every darn day, Amazon, Google, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, th this is sort of now where, where I think the radar might be going right off the bat for, you know, the, the computer science guys in Stanford, et cetera. So maybe we will see more and more of that. I know there's going to be a huge, t from what, you know, I, I, IDC and, and Gartner and other folks are, are uh, proposing, it, it appears that we'll have a, a pretty large shortage, though. So many people are going to need the, the kinds of tools that, that presumably you, you folks are going to be building there. Um, and and on to that point, and maybe as our, our last point to sort of discuss back and forth, you know, neither you nor I have a crystal ball, but of course, being someone who's raised money for a company, you know, you're out there in New York, New York now, um, you know, really aiming to get uh, this this trend off the ground and, and lead it, you must be thinking a good deal about where is the future of finance for the individual uh, investor, you know, the, the person who might not have a computer science degree, but needs to leverage these technologies, you know, 10 years from now, um, uh, how, how might how might things be different in terms of what a normal day-to-day -day trading activity will be? Will we have a lot of activity that maybe is done lightly supervised by people, but uh, in large part by computers? Will we have the, just the analysis of decisions primarily um, done by computers and, and maybe more people being educated on how to use computers to make those better decisions? Where will the shifts be made in terms of uh, the day-to-day -day behaviors, thought processes, and, and, and the real day-to-day -day experience of, of the individual trader, you know, years, years ahead? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question because already today, a vast majority of the total volume are generated by, you know, quote unquote, computers trading against each other. Yes, indeed. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't necessarily call those machine learning applications as they tend to be pretty straightforward, you know, you'd be surprised at, at, um, at their end, they're not very complex. Maybe the process that, that is used to build them tends to be complex. So, you know, in terms of the, the financial world, we're very much already in the stage where, where computers and machines are, are, are ruling. What I think is the major changes that we're going to see um, are on two different levels. So the first, and this gets back to the idea of the processes, and I think it's going to be the way that these algorithms are built and tested and run is going to require a lot less human supervision and a lot of these, you know, broader applications and more general AI in terms of building other trading robots are going to are going to start to take over um, probably not on the retail end but they will be able to to see the effect of those um, you know by whether we whether it is the robo advisors really take off or yeah, yeah. or you know your your brokerage start to employ those robots and then on the other side of things in terms of the individual investor and, and their trading um, you know workflow and coming up with their investment ideas I think it's going to be it's it's a, it's a delicate balance between transparency and really trust because if you have that application that you're not sure how it's arriving on those decisions or where the information is giving you is coming from, it's really not a lot of help for you when you have you're putting your own money behind it. So what I think we're gonna we're gonna start to see more of is is I don't think you know for lack of a better example, kind of that that Siri type application. Um, but really geared more towards you know the investor and, and the trader where they can give their own analysis and then somehow be able to articulate or or show how they re re arrived at that conclusion. Um, yeah, so, it's, yeah. Uh, curious. It, it's 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 funny. I suppose in in many regards it'll probably have corollaries to all the other broad technology adoption in general. Right. There was a, a point when um, you know. 
And now any given cell phone sort of has a power button about here and normally has these features that you can access kind of here and normally can do these kinds of things. And, and with enough exposure, enough of the brands kind of begin to fit the model, it's, it's good UI and then it becomes the norm. And now it's sort of people know how to use cell phones. It, we've gotten to a point, right? Same thing with CRM technology or other things like that. Probably what began as something where, you know, a guy with really thick glasses uh, was organizing these databases. Now, you know, anybody with a shoe shop or a flower shop can have a CRM that's pretty damn intuitive and, and run calibrated marketing campaigns without ever having a background therein. It seems like a lot of what, what will need to be fleshed out in order for finance to adopt these shifts, the same kind of things will have to be figured out. What are the norms? What's really going to be useful? Um, what's actually going to be intuitive? And of course, those are the hard problems that, that I suppose you're tasked with figuring out there, Ted. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot higher risk on you know Siri not necessarily showing you the best Chinese restaurant in town versus making a, an investment decision that, that could potentially have a large adverse impact on your finances. Yeah, yeah, get, get, get your kids out of college and, and move you back <laughs> into your parents' house. Yeah, that, that's, exactly. that's so a real, much worse so, than a bad restaurant. Yeah, and so it does come down to that, that, you know, that idea of transparency and trust where you know the information that, that's being presented to you. You can understand to some level what the analysis was behind it and still have enough, enough faith to, to act on that or at least make an informed decision that, that gives you the best probability of success. And that's really what we're trying to do is, is get to that stage or at least accelerate that process as much as possible. For sure, and I suppose only only the future will tell uh, exactly how that will roll out to the world, but obviously you'll be working hard at just that problem. Tad, we're right at time here, but I sincerely appreciate you being able to share your perspective on the markets and trends here in the Tech Emergence Podcast. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for having me on. This was a pleasure. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here, and remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks researcher perspectives and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off, and I'll see you next week.